Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. I'm excited to uh, preach the word this morning. I'm excited to kick off our new series uh, that we have, a seven-week series called At The Core. And you might be wondering, what do you mean by At The Core? What does that series look like? What does it entail? Uh, but I, the, the easiest way to put it is, is if we were to run some sort of next steps or uh, growth track or something that we, we would put to say, if you, were, if you were coming in here, if you want to be discipled, if you want to know more about our church, the steps we would run through, the things we would talk about are the things we're going to talk about over the next seven weeks, something that we believe in our hearts uh, that is true, uh, and that we want everybody in this place that calls Resound home uh, to know what these core values are and what they mean to us. And so it's going to be a great seven weeks to be a part of. I encourage you uh, where you can to be at all of them. But this morning, I get to start the series and speak about the church, the church, which I don't know. If you're the same as me, but I feel pretty passionate about the church, I believe that it is the hope of the world and we get to be a part of it. I am going old school. I do not have an iPad or a laptop. I've got notes. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't my uh, intent. I printed them off and thank you, Jesus, for... uh, whatever wisdom I had to print these off because last night I opened my laptop to add a few things, change a few things and then send it over uh, to um, the iPad to be able to preach this morning. And when I opened up my message, it was blank. (laughs) So somewhere from Friday to Saturday night, it was gone. And I tried everything to get it back, to find it, to resurrect it, but it was dead and it wasn't coming back to life. So thank God that I printed them because this is all I have of my message. Otherwise, uh, yeah, it would have been a late night for me, Um, but we're going back on to the notes. And so uh, the church, obviously, we are the church. The church is the people of God gathered together. We read that in Scripture. They use a Greek word, ecclesia, which is the gathering of believers coming together. So, so, so we know that the church isn't a building, but the context of how we do church, the people of God gathering together, just happens to be in a building. So this is the church, the people of God gathered together. If we read in Ephesians 5, 25, one of the great chapters in the Bible, says this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. If God, if Jesus Christ himself loves the church, then so should we, amen? And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. And that's what we want to be, right? A radiant church, a people of God that are radiant, that know the word and that are 
without stain or wrinkled or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We also know that the church, being the people of God, is made up of you and I, of people. And so although that is our goal, that is what Jesus is returning for, that is where we want to get to. We are people that fall short of the glory of God. And so the church isn't perfect. But God's plan is perfect and his plan includes his church. Matthew 16, 13, 20, another famous scripture where Jesus is talking and he says, when Jesus came to the region of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It was upon Peter's revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, the living God, that the church is built and is being built to this day. When we say, when we believe that Jesus is the King of Kings, that he did what he said he did and he will do what he says he he will do, we are the church. It is that revelation that Peter had that the church is built upon. Let me tell you, no matter what happens... No matter what statistics you read or predictions are made in regards to the church, we are promised that not even the gates of Hades will prevail against his church. It will remain the bride of Christ until Jesus returns. Jesus loves his bride, the church, and is more than capable of looking after her. And when we rest in that, that Jesus is more than capable of looking after the church and we are obedient to him, I believe that the church will continue to be the hope of the world. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your church. I thank you for the people of God that confess that you are the son of the living God, that you are all powerful and almighty. God, I just pray that you would Uh, pierce hearts this morning. You would challenge where challenge needs to be done. You would convict where conviction needs to happen and you would encourage where people need to be encouraged. And we would all be stirred in our faith to be the church that you've called us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to talk about three things that I believe give purpose to the church, which is why we exist and what we should be doing as the church. And those three things is this. Number one, to worship God. Number two, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And number three, to reach the world. And there are three things I want to talk about. So we're going to start with number one. First and foremost, we exist as a church, a people of God, to worship God. We were created to worship and we can see that through Genesis We were designed to worship. If we aren't worshipping God, we are worshipping something. So if it's not God, it's something 
else. And we see this all through the Old Testament with the Israelites. They, you know, turned their eyes off God. And what did they do? They built gold statues. They, they worshipped idols. We are all worshipping something. Let it be God. Colossians 1.16 says this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Let our lives be that of worship to God. I love the story of the woman at the well in John 4, 21, 24. 21 to 24, I really believe uh, Jesus, what he was saying was radical, hadn't been heard before and was really setting up what it would look like to worship God. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He was kind of saying there's a day where you don't have to go to the temple to worship not on this mountain or or to Jerusalem, but you can worship the Lord our God at all times, anywhere, because of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. We must be people of God that worship Him in spirit and in truth. When we worship God, the spirit aspect is a connection, is a transaction from our spirit and in our spirit to God Himself. I don't know if you experienced in that worship just before, but I felt the tangible presence of God, that transaction happening between my spirit and God's spirit. We also need to worship in truth, authentic, honest, based on revealed truth, based on what we read in the Word of God. We primarily worship God for who He is and for what He does. That is how we worship. But worship is not just giving adoration and praise to a God that deserves it. And we see this all through Scripture. But worship is also a laying down, a giving up of oneself to God. Romans 12, 1-2 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Our worship to God which is not just reserved for a Sunday morning, 20-minute slot, but our everyday worship, our laying down of ourselves, our taking up our cross and saying, Jesus, I give you all the glory. I give you all the honour. I need you more today than I did yesterday. And I know I'll need you more tomorrow than I did today. That kind of worship where we offer ourselves to Him. What does worship do in our hearts? 
We place God in His rightful place. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get so caught up in my day-to-day, so caught up in my world that I forget that God, the King of Kings, is seated on the throne. That He is there in that place. And the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord, that He is the King of Kings. He is in control. It builds faith in our hearts. We can believe for more. We can actually come down the front during worship because we're believing for a miracle and we actually walk down the front knowing that He is able. And I know this in my own life that sometimes I think, I know you've done it for someone else, but I'm not sure that you'll do it for me, but we'll boldly come and have faith built in our spirits. It takes our eyes off ourselves and places them on a good and gracious God. It's not by our own strength. When we worship God, we realise that we cannot do this life without Him. It actually reveals to us our increasing need for Him, our increasing need for more of Him in our everyday lives. When we worship God, it actually uh, actually brings us to a place where we want to worship Him more. It's something that you actually don't get tired of doing. And newsflash, for all eternity, we will be worshipping God. And so we need to step into that place of worship and let our lives be worshipped. It draws us close to Him. And we read in Scripture, as we draw near, He draws near to us. You know what worship does in my life is it shows me that God is closer than I think He is. Because sometimes we grow so distant or so apart or we feel so far from Him. And that's all within our own human thinking. But the reality of it is God is just as close as He ever has been. And it's when we worship that we realise He's not far and we're not dragging Him back close to us, but we realise He's right there. He was right there all the time. And when the Word says He'll never leave you nor forsake you, He will never leave you nor forsake you. I was recently at the uh, Resound Youth Summer Camp Oh, I thought there'd be a little bit more than that. That was, that was the, uh, the cue that they missed. I was recently at the Resound Youth Summer Camp. And uh, we were in worship and it was in a barn and they made this barn look awesome. And we were worshipping God and I was just standing there worshipping. And I took Lenny and Brooks with me and Brooks was sitting down in the second row and I was just worshipping God. And then out of the corner of my eye, I opened and I saw Brooks next to me. And for whatever reason, I don't know, he had taken off his shoes and he had come next to me and he kneeled down. I wasn't kneeling, I was standing. And he was worshipping like this. And I just began to cry because that would melt any parent's heart, right? But even just the way he was doing it, it was like a worship slash meditation thing happening. But it was, it reminded me of the power of worship. It reminded me of how our worship, uh, it, it does something in our hearts and our lives. And also seeing worship brings you and draws you in to that throne room. So I believe that the church, us, the people of God, are designed, are created. Our purpose is to worship Him. 
The second thing, to equip the saints. Ephesians 4, 12 to 16. Had an open one. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then he will no longer be... I don't need that part. So Christ himself, it missed the first part, gave the apostles, the prophets the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The leaders of this church appointed by God have a responsibility to build you up, to stir your faith, to help you grow in the knowledge of God and to prepare you for the work of the ministry. That is the responsibility of the people that God has entrusted to lead this church. And our heart is to do all of those things, is to build you up in faith, to encourage you, to grow in the knowledge of who God is and what His Word means, to become mature and to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But it's for a purpose. And the purpose of all of those things is so that you would do the work of the ministry. See, I've heard oftentimes throughout church, people leave churches and they say things like this, that church... They didn't feed me. And they're talking about how they taught the Scripture. They're talking about their theology. And they say, oh, I just don't feel fed in that church. And by all means, you should feel like you are being taught the Word of God. You should feel like you are getting taught proper theology and Scripture. But the whole purpose of that... Thanks, Nate is so that you would do the work of the ministry. So my question to those people is always this. If you got fed, would you go? If you got fed, would you go and do the work of the ministry? Or do you just want to get fed? Do you just want to puff up in knowledge? Do you just want to know more, but you have no intent to go out and reach the world? No intent to go out and tell people about what you have learned, about the knowledge that you have in God. There is a purpose for the build-up. There is a purpose for equipping the saints. Jesus did not equip His disciples to just say, I'm out. What does He do? We read it in Mark 7, uh, Mark 6, sorry, 7 to 13. Calling the 12 to Him, He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belt. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place you, you're not welcome, you or they won't listen to you. Leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. God's plan for reaching the world 
was to equip the disciples, which Jesus did, and then he sent them out for the works of the ministry. He sent them out to go and change the world. It is still the plan today. He uses the church. He uses the body of Christ, you and me, to equip us so that we can go out and do what they did to change the world. Some come to church with a crowd mentality. Jesus is desiring disciples. Crowds went where Jesus was so that they could meet their needs and then they went home. I think sometimes we can approach church like that. Go where Jesus is so that he can meet our needs and then we go home. Disciples had no place to go. In John 6, we read about this. In John 6, 66, the context of the scripture is Jesus has been teaching about, uh, about his, his body being broken and his, uh, and his blood being shed. And he's saying, you need to eat my body and drink my blood. So you can imagine this is pre dying on the cross, so people are freaked out because here's Jesus saying, hey, you need to eat my body and you need to drink my blood. They don't understand what he's talking about, the, the, the level that he's talking at. And so it says that many disciples, not talking about the 12, deserted Jesus, walked away from him. It was like, that was like the line in the sand for them. They were like, we could get around the feeding the 5,000. We could get around the miracles that was happening, but this is a little bit weird now and we're out. And so they left. So Jesus says this, from this, it says many walked away. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus gave them the option in that moment. Yeah, this is a tough teaching and you're not going to understand it for a little bit, but you will get there. Do you want to go too? Peter's response To whom shall we go? We gave up everything to follow you. We gave up our jobs. We left our families. We we laid it all aside at your word. Come and follow me. Jesus, if you don't work out in my life, I have nothing else. There's no backup plan. I am all in. And Jesus and Peter is basically saying, we got nothing else. And that is the disciples that Jesus is desiring, a sense in our hearts and in our lives that say, Jesus, it doesn't matter if someone inside the church hurts me or offends me because I have committed to you. And I've committed to what you're trying to do on this earth and how you're trying to build your church and the people of God. And so regardless of what goes on or what happens or or what I have to go through, and yes, it may be unnecessary or unprovoked or should never have happened to you. But if you trust in Jesus and you know that He is the Son of the living God, we can say, I'm all in. To whom shall we go? The crowd was always on the fringe, yet the disciples were at the heart. You know, disciples are just men and women committed to obey the Lord. It's unconditional. It's not telling God where or how or when I want to serve Him. I've done that. It's listening to God, telling me 
how all of those things are going to happen, whether it suits my preferences or not. He's called us to be His hands and His feet, to carry His gospel into a world that so desperately needs it. Am I a disciple or just a number, another member of the crowd? Because we do not want to build a crowd here at Resound Church. We want to build a church full of disciples of Jesus. And you do not arrive in discipleship. Wayne has not arrived as a disciple of Jesus. It is a becoming. It is a continual process of becoming more and more like Jesus. We do not arrive. We do not make it. We do not get to that place until we go to be with Jesus for all eternity. While we're here on earth, we are all becoming more like Jesus. The process of sanctification. There is a cost to following Jesus. And in Matthew 8, my Bible entitles it, The Cost of Following Jesus. And verse 18 to 22, it says this, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You know, the context of these two stories, the first man, a scribe, says a teacher of the law, What scribes would do in those days is they would find a rabbi to follow. They would find a rabbi to disciple them. But the way in which it was done, it was always on the terms of of the scribe. So they would come and say, yeah, we'll follow you, but I'll just make sure that it aligns with my schedule. So Jesus' response, because he obviously knows everybody that's talking to him and he knows the heart that it's coming from. And so even though we read, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go and you expect Jesus to be like, that is what I'm looking for. Jesus responds with this, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was making a distinction that discipleship is on his terms, not ours. It's not on our terms when we choose to follow Him, when we choose to walk in what He's commanded us to walk. It is on His terms. The second man who said, first, let me go and bury my father. And he says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Again, the context is not that this man's father was necessarily actually dead, but if he was unwell, it was, it was custom for for. He, for for the son or the daughter or whoever to stay and look after their father until he passed. But Jesus, again, was making it clear that discipleship is not for later. It's for now. It's not until we get our ducks in a row. It's not until we work out some personal things in our life. It's not until we, we, we graduate from high school that then I will step into being discipled by Jesus. It is not for later. The call is for now. It is right now, right here saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to live a life that goes after what you've called us to live. I want to become more like you. You know, for us, and some of you know our story and some of you don't, but we've been here a year next week. 
We moved from the northern New South Wales, we, from the Tweed Coast, from the blue waters and always sunny to uh, Melbourne, Victoria, where we haven't got to the waters and the sun shines when it wants to. In the natural, us moving here didn't make any sense to you or to us. Because the number one question we get is, so why are you here? Why would you leave up there? In the natural, it was costly. And it meant we had to uproot our family. We had to take kids out of schools and, uh, and leave jobs and friends and everything that was established and all of those things. And I'm not looking for sympathy And I'm not looking for praise, but I'm using it as an analogy to say that we felt a call from God that this is where we needed to be. And it wasn't a later call. It wasn't in a few years time or when when you're ready. But we felt like God was knocking on our heart and there was something in us moving here. And so we stepped out in obedience to Him and trusted in Him. And he is so faithful to obedience. I heard a quote that says, We often see big churches where many are entertained and few are equipped. Let me tell you, we are committed to equipping the people entrusted to us to reach the world with the power of the gospel. Katie and the team can come. Finally, to worship God, to equip the saints. And lastly, the purpose of the church is to reach the world. You know, sin is still the problem and Jesus is still the answer. None of that has changed. And until he returns, sin will still be the problem and Jesus will continue to be the answer. The world in which we live is broken and it's in desperate need of a saviour. And he's entrusted you and I to carry that message, to carry his gospel to the ends of the earth. When we say reach the world, I'm not talking about going on a mission trip. I'm talking about you in your workplace, you in your school, you in your university. You at home with your kids, wherever you find yourself. There are people that need Jesus. There are people that are lost. I think in the first couple of months, we had the privilege of leading a young couple to the Lord here in Melbourne. That was enough to make it all worth it. To see someone give their life to Jesus. That was enough. I'd move again to see someone come to know Jesus. Jesus is sending us into the world the same way He sent the 12. He wants to equip us and He wants to release us. Matthew 28, 16 to 20 says this, we know this is the Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is our call. Matthew 16, 24 to 26 says, Then Jesus said to His disciples, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for Me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? It's time to be the church. It's time for you to start using your gifts and your talents to edify the body of Christ, not for your own gain, but for His glory. It's time to speak well of the church. Too many people speak ill of the bride of Christ because of mistakes that people make with inside the church. But it's time for the people of God to start to speak well of the church, to start to hold it in esteem the same way that God holds it. And it's time to grow and it's time to go. It's not enough to just come in here and go out here. I know this is a tough, challenging word, but there is a world that needs the Gospel and it needs not me and not a few, but it needs all of us to carry the message, to take up our cross and to follow Him, to lay down oneself for the greater good. My favourite quote in life is this, preach the Gospel, die, be forgotten. I can't remember his name, but if you look it up, it'll tell you his name. But that is a quote that I just can't shake. Preach the Gospel, die, be forgotten. The end of our lives, the same way we exit, we all exit the same way and it's through death. It's it's imminent. It's going to happen to all of us. We're called to preach the Gospel. One day we will die. And the hope is this that our name is not remembered, but Christ's name is remembered. That it is not our legacy that lives, but it is His legacy. This is why we exist. The order of today matters to worship, to be equipped and to reach the world. Too many people are trying to reach the world, but they lack intimacy with God, which is worship. Too many people are trying to reach the world, but they don't know their Word. And it's not working out so well. The order matters. We're a church to worship Him first and foremost, to be equipped to know His Word, to live by His Word, to study His Word, to be discipled, to be in groups, to be in communities where we can actually grow so that we can go, knowing that He is with us until the end of the age. The church is the hope of the world and we are the church. So let's be the church that He, Jesus, is returning for. Would you stand to your feet? Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.